Hebrews chapter 10. This morning we'll be reading verses 30 to 39. The last section of the 10th chapter runs 32 to 39. We'll be reading from 30 to 39. Our actual text this morning will be 30 to 34. If you can keep all that straight, you're in good business. Hebrews 10.30 For we know him, capital H, God, that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which, after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used or abused. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience or endurance, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Heavenly Father, it is clear to us as we come to the end of this reading that the dear men of God of old was not writing to the Hebrew Christians as if they were unsaved, but was clearly writing to them as believers, people that had placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord. And as he says at the end, he was convinced that they were not like some who would fall away, who would depart, who would prove to be apostate, but indeed would be those that believe and continue to believe in that sense of saved, saved, and saved. Saved now from the penalty of our sins by faith, being saved by the ministry of the Holy Spirit here on earth, and to be saved in the coming day at death or rapture. Blessed in our understanding of this unique and challenging passage of Scripture that is dominated by five exhortations, three of which we've covered, two of which we begin to study today. 
Help us then, and we'll praise you. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. There is a practical blessedness in the life of a believer in regards to righteous recall. Bringing things up, bringing things back up, bringing things to mind in remembrance. It is one of the reasons why we memorize scripture so that we can bring back the truths of God and bring back the truths of God and bring back the truths of God again and again to our minds, especially during days of difficulty. It is also a very healthy and recommended practice to regularly reflect upon God's past faithfulness to you over the days, months, and years of your earthly sojourn. When you look back over the year, when you look back over the years, when you look back over a life, you can conclude as a believer, without doubt, God has been faithful. And then there's one more thing. In addition to this good element of practicing recall, and that has to do with calling to mind your past courage and faithfulness to Christ since you have been saved. And that is exactly what we see here in the emphasis of today's text, beginning at verse 32. Over recent weeks, we have worked with the sober warning that is found 26 to 31. Verses 30 and 31 remind us that God cannot be mocked, that God judges all unrighteousness, that God has reserved for himself vengeance and recompense or payback in relationship to each and every sinful human being. Vengeance is the infliction of injury, harm, and humiliation upon a person who is injured, harmed, and humiliated. What is vengeance? Vengeance is the infliction of injury, harm, and humiliation upon a person who has injured, harmed, and humiliated. And here, at verse 30, we are told that God reserves vengeance for himself. Furthermore, those of us that are saved know that the Lord Jesus was injured, harmed to the point of death, and humiliated for our sins so that we would not be rightly injured, harmed, and humiliated by God for our own sins. God's vengeance was poured out on Christ rather than us. Aren't you glad? That's a hallelujah thing. The word recompense, likewise found in that 30th verse, has both a positive and a negative side to it. Recompense, or payback, if you will. First of all, in verse 30, God has promised payback for sinful violation against him and against his people. 
People that sin against God and sin against the people of God will have to deal with God for that. Verse 30. But God has also promised, and look for the word recompense in verse 35. Recompense, verse 30, and recompense, verse 35. Completely different. The payback of verse 30 is God's righteous injury, harm, and humiliation of those who have injured, harmed, and violated him and his people. Verse 35 is God's righteous payback of those that have indeed kept their confidence in Christ and thereby receive God's reward. And so the idea of recompense is very negative, verse 30, and very positive, verse 35. The sobering warning found in 26 to 31 is to be faithfully applied to the unsaved individual, the apostate, as well as uh, the saved individual, the believer who is weak and waning in regards to their faith. The unsaved person is referenced in verse 27, where it says uh, that the judgment, the fiery indignation of God's judgment shall devour the enemies, devour the adversaries, devour the unsaved. But then you have the saved person in view at the end of verse uh, 30, where that we are told the Lord shall judge his people. And so this is a difficult passage, but nonetheless not that difficult once you begin to see the component parts by which we deal. Three exhortations, as we've now said on a number of occasions, lead up to the severe warning, running 26 to 31. Those exhortations are, verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. You could say that the warning that follows is a provocation of love unto good works. We could say that the warning is directed certainly to the unsaved, but the address of it is not to unsaved people. The address of it is to save people. A warning, a loving warning to save people concerning the seriousness of their sins and the importance of walking with God in the light of his word and taking care of sin day by day. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not a text of scripture for unsaved people, but a text of scripture for saved people as we will teach it tonight for adults in the educational hour. Just as the three exhortations to believers led up to this warning, now there are two exhortations that follow the warning. The first one is, verse 32, call to remembrance the former days. The first exhortation is call to remembrance. The second exhortation is verse 35, cast not away therefore your confidence. Don't cast away your confidence in Christ. Don't go soft on Christ. Don't go weak on Christ. Uh, keep Christ as the focus of your heart, your mind, your life. Uh, don't go soft on Christ. Don't 
wane from Christ. Don't take your eyes off Christ, or you, like Peter, will drop in the drink. Keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus. Now, we did not have the uh, adequate time last week. I mean, we had plenty of time, but either I was preaching slow or you were listening slow, and I don't know which, but towards the end there, I was really pushing it. But nonetheless, we didn't have an adequate opportunity uh, to deal with verse 31. It is a fearful thing. Let me tell you something. When the Bible says it is a fearful thing, guess what? It is a fearful thing, uh, uh, says the text, to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, whether unsaved, and we know what their fate would be, or saved, if living in a condition of unrepentant sin. Now, why would a believer need fear? Doesn't he or she have guarantee of heaven? Doesn't he or she have guarantee of eternal salvation? Sure. But God knows all and is all-powerful and is perfectly righteous. And he has told us that he will judge all unrighteousness. And he has also told us that we too must give an account for the life we live after trusting in Christ. There sometimes comes in the life of a rebellious child a day when a child will look at his parents, his God-given authority, figures sovereignly placed, and say, you will no longer tell me what to do. There sometimes comes in the, in the reality of a, of a life of a person, a heart of rebellion, in which they look at other authorities on the earth and say, you will no longer tell me what to do. And if you're a parent with an adult kid like that, There's not a whole lot you can do as a parent. If you're a pastor with a church member like that, there's not a whole lot you can do with a church member like that. But if you are God, you will not let that go. It is. A fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This text, of course, has some historical significance. And you can look up the sermon of Jonathan Edwards and see how God used that sermon to launch a revival and to also get the preacher kicked out of the church. And that has been the the, the course of it over years. Tell the truth, the whole truth, so help you God. Uh, A few will love it, most will hate it, but the reality is, the truth is, it is a fearful thing for me, it's a fearful thing for you to live in sin, that we would fall into the hands of the Almighty God, the living God,
who has promised us to deal with us as children. Wow. What a warning here. And if you want more, we'll be getting to it. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to hear more concerning this idea of uh, what God's word, word has to say uh, uh, concerning his children. Chapter 12 gives us those uh, famous words, whomever the Father loves, he chastens. The good heavenly Father is not a no-spanking dad. The good heavenly Father chastens his children to bring them under his loving care. Now, beyond the sobering warning first directed to those Jewish Christians who were weak and troubled in their faith, we see a little word at verse 32, and the word is but. Don't you love that word? <laughs> Let's have a little swing of emotion here. Let's leave uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the strong warning of verses 26 to 31 a little bit, and let's move on to the aspect of something in a different direction uh, that uh, really is intended to be a source of blessing uh, to the audience to whom it was originally written. It introduces us, of course, to the next two uh, exhortations that we've already identified, but call to our remembrance and cast not away your confidence. Today, we're going to work in the zone of this idea of blessed recall, of calling to remembrance your former days. We're going to work with that this morning. And then next week, Lord willing, if the Lord should tarry, and I pray that he doesn't, uh, but nonetheless, if the Lord should tarry, then next week uh, we plan to deal with this idea of not casting away your confidence, and we're going to organize all five ways to avoid willful sin under these two exhortations. But for this morning, we're working with this call to remembrance phrase. If you take into consideration the verb tense here, we can state the imperative as keep on reminding yourselves. Not just call to remembrance once, but remember and remember and remember and remember. And the focus of this godly remembrance is not a Bible verse, though that's an excellent thing, as we've already said. It's not particularly directed towards the faithfulness of God, although that's a wonderful thing. And in fact, the faithfulness of God has been referenced in regards to his disciplinary promise. But nonetheless, uh, this recall is not specifically targeting the aspect of God's faithfulness, but this particular sense of recall is directed towards, quote, the former days in which, after ye were illuminated, ye endured. See it? This sense of godly recall involves the former days of living experience after being illuminated or after being saved. The term illuminated specifically speaks of the light to which the believer comes out of darkness by faith in Jesus Christ. In salvation, the individual is moved upon by God out of darkness and into light. So said the Lord Jesus. And that same believer that is moved out of darkness and into light is bidden to walk 
as the children of light. Born into light, walk as light, or walk as the children of light. Now, the weak and troubled Hebrew Christians are prompted herein to recall some of the things that they actually experienced themselves after they had put their faith in Jesus Christ initially, after they had been saved. And they are being encouraged to remember some of those former things as a means to strengthen and to stabilize their walk as the children of light. The intention here of the, uh, 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 of the servant of God is obviously not to say to them, I believe you're all a bunch of dogs. I think all you people are apostates. No. Uh, the apostle uh, is writing here in order that we might have an understanding that the people that he's addressing, he's perceiving that they're Christians of the weak and troubled kind, of the weak and immature variety. And as a result of that, they're all caught up in a, in a barrage of, of a, of a stirred-up mind and a sense of confusion that is completely unnecessary in relationship to the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing that he says to them beyond delivering that severe warning is he says, now listen, you need to think about your former days. You need to think about uh, your own life uh, after you had come to know Christ. After you were saved. And he says, when you think about your former life, here's what I can say about you. Here's what you can say about yourself. Ready? End of verse 32. Ye endured a great fight of afflictions. He said that these people, after they had professed to know Jesus Christ their Savior, that they endured a great fight of afflictions while they were still what we would call baby Christians these believers were cast into the fire of conflict and opposition they are said to have endured or stayed put in their newfound faith in the face of great affliction or suffering. Now, two words in verse 33 give us insight into their past experience. The word reproach speaks of oral ridicule and mockery. When those Hebrew Christians first came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, many of their family, many of their friends, many of the people around them uh, 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 pronounced towards them or spoke at them or to them words of ridicule and mockery. You did what? You put your faith in Christ, Jesus? Why in the world would you do that? Reproach to speak words of ridicule and mockery. And then the word affliction speaks of harm to one's person or property. Could mean you got punched in the face. Could mean that somebody stole your book bag. But the idea here is that these new believers, these baby Christians, soon after they had come to know the Lord, they were indeed engulfed in an environment of opposition and conflict. 
Many of them endured oral ridicule and mockery because they had put their faith in Jesus Christ. And certainly some of them endured actual harm to their person or to their property. These new Christians had faced deliberate opposition and trouble almost immediately after trusting in Jesus as as the Christ. And the first thing that they are told to remember is that, listen, they endured the onslaught. That God the Father is the best nursery worker in all the world. He knows how to protect his babies. And that when they, as new believers, were opposed with verbiage and opposed in action, they endured that onslaught by the grace and care of God. Their fresh love and faith in Christ withstood the conflict. Another indication of the severity of that opposition to their newfound faith is uh, found in the word gazing stock, verse 33. Partly, while ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions. The Greek word rendered uh, in the English uh, uh, there, uh, gazing stock in our Bible, uh, could likewise be translated theater. And is otherwise translated, for those of you in the adult Bible study on Wednesday night, spectacle. We covered it last Wednesday night in the adult Bible study. Spectacle. Paul said he had been made by God a spectacle, a theater. Uh, It it was as if these new believers uh, were put on the Roman public stage and subjected to verbal abuse and violence. Now, it's interesting to me because there's different ways you can use the word theater, and you can certainly use it in the entertainment sense. But there's also a war sense of that. In fact, if you read the history of World War II, you will read that there are two recognized theaters of war during World War II. Uh, The United States of America eventually got into World War II as a result of December 7th and Pearl Harbor. But the United States of America was never a theater of war. When you talk about the theater of war, you have to talk about Europe, and you have to talk about the Pacific. The two theaters of war in World War II were the European and the Pacific. But there are people, there are believers, and I'm not one of them, but there are believers, there are believers in the world who almost immediately upon saving, uh, being saved by Jesus Christ, immediately exercising their faith in Jesus Christ, entered a spiritual war theater. And I say I'm not one of them because my mother loved the Lord, and when I told her I trusted Christ, she was happy, hugged me, and kissed me. Now, I do a a lot today for a hug and kiss from my mother. And uh, I appreciate the fact that my mother's response to my trusting the Lord was a hug and a kiss and a commendation 
of having done a right thing and putting my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in my more extended family, I was by and large surrounded by other Christians who were saying, yeah, yeah, right, right. When one of our parents bring to me or have their child come to me after having trusted Christ as their Savior, and they say, Pastor, I've trusted the Lord as my Savior, and they tell me that, I, I do my best to just be as excited and up about it as I possibly can to join in the family joy of, uh, of someone moving from darkness uh, to light. And I'm sure you as a believer would do the same. Nothing, nothing better than to know that our children walk in the truth. Amen? But the reality is, is that there are people that are not surrounded by happy, happy, holy, holy, good, 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 when they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And the particular testimony of these Hebrew Christians is, is that when they came to Christ, they entered into, immediately, a war theater. The theater of opposition. I got to tell you, I lived for a good time uh, on this earth as a Christian before I ever really knew any uh, overt sense of opposition because of Christ. Eventually it came at school. Eventually I knew it at work. I certainly do know it among the people of God today, though I should not. But nonetheless... I do know now what it is to be in a theater of war and opposition and conflict for having put faith in Christ, asserted the truth of the gospel as for me and for you. I certainly now know all about it, but I didn't at the first. And I thank God for every one of you that were raised in a Christian home and did not immediately upon coming to Christ enter a war theater. That said, the people that are saved that enter a, into a war theater immediately either get really tough or get so weak they just can't stand. And that was the case of these Hebrew Christians. They had entered shortly after coming to know the Lord, they had entered into a war theater, a spiritual war theater. Now, I want to show you what it is we're talking about here in a little broader sense so that you can, by comparing Scripture with Scripture, uh, find a little better your way. Uh, let's go back a few pages to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I'll be reading 5 and 6 to begin. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 and 6. My premise is that the experience of the Thessalonians was similar to the experience of the Hebrew Christians being addressed in Hebrews 10. That they got saved, they came to the Lord, it was a real deal, and immediately they paid a price for it. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. For our gospel, said Paul, came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. 
with joy of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. So when the Thessalonians were brought the gospel of Christ, brought by the Apostle Paul and his team of missionary church planters, when they were brought the gospel of Christ, a number of them embraced the gospel of Christ and did so with joy, but immediately they were thrown into a spiritual war theater. They were immediately the focus of rebuke and reviling and harm. And you have a little more of explanation concerning all this as you go to chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So, the Thessalonians, in spite of the opposition and the conflict, endured and endured joyfully. But then, Paul says, verse 14, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. What did Paul say to the Thessalonians? He said, if you think about the Jewish believers in Judea that came to know the Lord, that put their faith in the Lord, they were immediately dropped into a war theater, a spiritual war theater, and immediately began to be pushed back on, immediately began to be reviled, immediately began to be reproached, immediately began to be afflicted. And when you, Thessalonians, trust the Lord, you entered into that same kind of opposition, And thank God you endured. And you endured with joy. But you uh, certainly uh, entered into the fellowship of suffering that was known among those Jewish Christians in Judea who suffered, in many cases, at their own family, at the hands of their own countrymen, at the hands of people that they loved. Verse 15. Those same people that killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. What did Paul say? Paul said that war theater that is uh, made up of the aspect of those that uh, speak for God and the things of God but know not God and the righteousness of God, that they not only oppose the churches in Judea, like you're being opposed, uh, but they are the very uh, ones, and that's the very spirit that put, humanly speaking, the Lord Jesus on the cross. Uh, That's the same spirit that played so rough upon the Old Testament prophets. Uh, That's the same ugly spirit of religious people uh, that persecuted us when we represented the truth of Christ uh, among you. Uh, uh, persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary uh, uh, to all men. Contrary to all men. They're, they're, they're critical of everybody. 
Uh, the only people they approve is themselves and people that follow them uh, uh, religiously. Uh, but they are not at all representatives of God. They speak not on behalf of God. They are not gospel preachers. They're not gospel teachers. They're not talking about the reality of the things of Christ. Furthermore, verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles. What? That same spirit of opposition to the gospel of Christ forbid uh, the missionary endeavor to take the gospel of Christ to the Gentiles. They tried to forbid the Apostle Paul and his missionary team from speaking the truth of Christ to the Gentiles, uh, that the Gentiles might be saved. And Paul references that they might, uh, uh, as it were, fill up their sins the more. For the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. And I'm sure from Paul's perspective concerning the case at Thessalonica, that outpouring of God's wrath could not come too quick or too long or too strong because of the things that were endured. So, back to Hebrews chapter 10. Paul says to the believers there, I want you to recall not your favorite memory verse, though that's a good thing. I want you to recall, not God's faithfulness, although that is always, on every day, a most blessed thing. I want you to recall your former days after you were saved, when you endured a great fight of affliction. Partly while ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches, verbal opposition, and affliction, personal harm, or property loss. We'll stop right there for just a moment, because that is the first emphasis of this concept of bringing to memory their own sense of okay, their own sense of even joy in the early days after they had first trusted in Christ. That's not all that they had to recall, however, because verse 33 goes on to say, and partly while ye became companions of them that were so used or so abused. You became companions with the Thessalonians. You became companions with the believers in Judea. You became companions with all of these little bird churches uh, across Asia Minor, that have embraced the truth of Christ and have entered into the aspect of a war theater. You share in the fellowship of sufferings with them. They suffer too. Not because they have done something wrong, but because they have followed the right way of Christ. And so the Hebrews had indeed... Uh, uh, given themselves over, as it were, uh, to those uh, companions in fellowship with other churches like the Thessalonians and the Judeans, as we saw back in 1 Thessalonians chapters 1 and 2. The Hebrews had to exercise compassion. In addition, one more thing, they had to exercise compassion uh, for their preacher and their teacher who was in prison. This is one of the reasons why many scholars believe that Hebrews was written by Paul, though it doesn't say that. 
It says, verse 34, For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, in my imprisonment. You not only had companions in Thessalonica and Judea, but you had compassion. You had a, a heart of pity and tender love directed towards me while I was in prison. And as a result of that, you took joyfully the spoiling of your own goods in order to do something nice for me. You entered into the fellowship of the gospel by taking good care of the preacher and the teacher. And then thirdly, and I'd be quick, the Hebrews not only had a testimony of right-minded endurance and compassion, but bore the high evidence of an informed faith. Watch this phrase. Knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance, a reward, a promise fulfilled than anything that you could possess on planet Earth. What should you and I recall? We should recall the former days in which we have found the courage to stand for the Lord and endure. We should recall the aspect of, of becoming a part of the fellowship of suffering, which connects Christians through 2,000 years of experience. And we should uh, relate to the aspect of those individuals that are pro-preacher, pro-teacher of the gospel and have had compassion on them and uh, have done what they can to bring a sense of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of help and support uh, regardless of the, of the circumstances at hand. And that is, all done, that is all done by a group of people that have indeed become convinced that heaven is real, in fact, more real than anything we can see on earth. And here's what I leave you with. Heaven is real, more real than anything you can see on earth. Heaven is real, more real than anything you can see on earth. And so to live with a heavenly mindset is to live with the truth that heaven is real, more real than anything you've ever seen on the earth. God, help us to understand and appropriate. Help us to make our talk and walk about the Lord Jesus. In the days of this week upcoming, help us to live for thee with a whole heart. To deal quickly when we do know that we sin here, there, along the way. Help us to walk in the light as you are in the light. Help us even tonight as we return to some of these concepts in the Adult Education Hour. And bless now your people as we depart from this place. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.